Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is The Gist of Freedom with Manisha Sinha, Draper Chair in American History and the author of The Slave's Cause, A History of Abolition. I will be talking to you every third Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black History and Current Events. You can find over 500 archive shows of the Gist of Freedom on blackhistoryuniversity.com. I look forward to spending every third Saturday afternoon with you. Hello, everyone. This is Manisha Sinha again, and I'm glad to join you today uh, in May, the third Saturday of May again, for our monthly show. Um, I'm joining you at a particularly somber and sad moment uh, in honor of the victims of the Buffalo Massacre. We'll talk about the massacre, what motivated the murderer, the racist murderer, and about the victims. But just to start off the show, everybody, in honor of the victims, particularly one of them, Miss Pearl Young, to donate to your local food pantry. She used to run a food pantry in Buffalo, and I think it's a good way to honor her to do that for all of us. So I dedicate this show to all the victims of the Buffalo Massacre. Ten black people were massacred in cold blood at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, uh, by a, a racist young man who had obviously um, bought into and listened to a lot of hate ideology and hateful ideas um, and had then acted on them. And it's so sad to see this, this massacre that occurring in our times again, you know, we've had so many of innocent, defenseless people being attacked for no other reason except that they were black. And this kind of anti-black racism has really been fueled, of course, we know in the recent years, um, and been given respectability by people in high office, um, by uh, people on television, on social media. Uh, they keep spouting their hateful ideas and theories, and they don't realize that their words have consequences and that a misguided, deluded young man uh, could take those words and commit an awful massacre. And I am hearing increasingly now of people saying especially the defense lawyers, who, of course, will try to mount an insanity plea, a mental insanity plea for this young man. But I hear all kinds of theories being touted that this young man was mentally unstable or maybe uh, the effect of the pandemic, even though he himself never had COVID, uh, had left him mentally unstable. And I think that is a 
terrible way to excuse what he did uh, because there is no excuse. He suffered from no mental illness. He did suffer from a poisonous ideology, and that is racism. And that's what we should be confronting today. I also think about the times of slavery when people would invent diseases to explain either black resistance to slavery or to excuse white atrocities against black people. And so I'm thinking of this made-up disease by so-called respectable doctors in the South, like drapetomania, which they said black people suffered from because they were constantly running away. So this good doctor, Dr. Samuel Cartwright of Louisiana, could not imagine that black people were voting with their feet for freedom. All he could think of was this was some kind of medical condition, that it was an illness. So it's a far-fetched analogy, but when we think about this Buffalo shooter, and I don't want to name him or give him any more airtime than he deserves, um, that he should do something like this and then plead mental insanity, cold-blooded racist murderer, a man, a young man who had scoped out uh, this grocery store, who had targeted a predominantly black community, who had even spoken with a resident of Buffalo for nearly an hour before he actually perpetrated his crimes. And Leslie Gist, in this very um, channel, has interviewed the man whom this young man had talked to, and I think it would be well worth a listen. So this man was not mentally unstable. He had cold-bloodedly scoped and planned his attack. And I think it is really important for the prosecuting attorneys in New York to make sure that they bring this out, that they bring out what he did, all his hateful social media posts, uh, where he is trying to emulate massacres that occurred in Christchurch, New, New Zealand. Um, and, of course, New Zealand reacted immediately to this massacre. Uh, we have insane gun laws that uh, allow uh, um, people like this, uh, this hateful young man to, to have access to weapons of mass destruction and to perpetrate uh, this kind of horrific murder. And, you know, I am saying that this would be a tragedy in, in any circumstance. But when I look at the victims of his murder, you know, they, they remind me a lot of the worshipers at the Amy Church in Charleston, that historic black abolitionist church in Charleston that was attacked in summer of 2015 when another hateful young man who flew a Confederate battle flag um, actually went and murdered a pastor and worshippers. And so when I look at the victims, the 10 people who were murdered, um, you know, the, you look at these men and women, and they're just these outstanding citizens. They're the kind of people you would like to have living next to you, you would like to have to call if you were in trouble. Um, an elderly lady who fed the homeless, a young woman who moved back to take care of her brother, uh, a police officer who was also uh, a retired police officer who was uh, trying to prevent the massacre. You know, these are very brave and upstanding citizens of the Republic. 
And if you think about the people who attack them and who theories, like the so-called great replacement theory, you know, everyone's been going on about critical race theory, um, which is a made-up controversy, and no one has talked about actual hateful ideologies being propounded by people like Tucker Carlson, even a representative from New York to the everlasting shame of the state of New York, um, Representative Stefanik, who are propounding that somehow black and brown people are going to replace whites uh, in this country. It's the same hateful ideology that motivated the shooter in Christchurch, New Zealand, and before that, the um, white supremacists in Norway who attacked a camp. These uh, people are being motivated by the same hateful ideas, uh, the same kinds of conspiracy theories uh, that have abounded during the pandemic, um, whether, you know, racist ideas, whether ideas against the vaccine or mask mandates to, to control the pandemic. Uh, these people are really completely off the charts when it comes to believing nonsense. And the frightening part is that some of them are in the Republican Party and in Congress, and that they continue to spout these hateful ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, I think these people have blood in their hands. They always mobilize racism for short-term political gain, uh, and that always results in the death of innocent people, uh, like the people who were massacred and murdered in, in Buffalo. I think it's really important for us to realize is that we need to stay away from these kinds of ideas. And if you look at the history of these ideas, you can trace them right back uh, to slavery, to the afterlife of slavery, to the turn of the 19th century, when many of these theories were actually being propounded against Southern and Eastern Europeans. Uh, they were seen as a threat to the United States. Um, and you had the height of social Darwinism, the survival of the fittest. You had the height of scientific racism in academia and in popular culture. It was intellectually respectable uh, to say things like that the Northern Europeans are the best people in the world, the whitest people in the world, um, and that somehow other white ethnics were degenerate. And of course, black and brown people were completely down uh, in the totem pole. This was at the height of Western imperialism in Africa and Asia, uh, and this whole notion that the white man's rule should rule the world. These people want to take us back to that time. It was a time of Jim Crow. It was also the time when black people were not treated as equal citizens of this republic. They were, in fact, um, uh, segregated. They were victims of racist terror, um, and they were disenfranchised in the South. It is not until the civil rights movement of the 1960s that a majority of black people become equal citizens uh, of the American Republic. And I think this man um, was really trying to take us back to that. Um, of course, black people resisted this. And they resisted this during the moments of slavery and well after that. So if you look at a place like Buffalo, for instance, it was an important stop in the Underground Railroad, the abolitionist underground that I talk about in my book. In fact, the black abolitionist and author William Wells Brown operated in Buffalo, New York, 
taking fugitive slaves uh, across the Erie to Canada. And so, you know, Buffalo has also a history of black resistance. Um, And, of course, when we go down to the Jim Crow era and the era of lynching, African-Americans mobilized in civil rights groups uh, to protest what was happening, uh, to protest these massacres, to protest racist terror against black people. The most outstanding of that was, of course, uh, the great Ida B. Wells, a suffragist, an anti-lynching advocate, uh, a journalist who compiled what she called the Red Record of Terror in the South, where she documented instances of massacres and lynchings and spoke all over the world, uh, including England, against lynching in the United States. It is only recently that the U.S. has actually passed an anti-lynching law. It is only recently that we have hate laws uh, in our federal uh, statute books to protest such crimes. Uh, But they are the result, of course, of the activism of a whole group of outstanding African-American leaders uh, and abolitionists like William Wells Brown, like Ida B. Wells. Uh, In fact, abolitionists um, first advocated self-defense against uh, slave catchers who would invade their communities. Um, So in Boston, for instance, um, not only did you have these vigilance abolitionist committees uh, founded and operated mainly by African-Americans, but also with white allies. Um, these vigilance committees were always on the lookout to see whether slaveholders and enslavers were sending bounty hunters or people into their communities uh, to apprehend self-emancipated slaves, who were known, of course, then as fugitive slaves, according to the law. Uh, In Boston, they had an amazing vigilance committee that became what they call the Anti-Man-Hunting League. Uh, And this is in my book, The Slave Scores, A History of Abolition. I was fascinated when I came across this group. Uh, They had diagrams that I saw where they figured out how to surround a man who would come into their community to attack them and how they would then um, disarm him and, uh, you know, lead him out of the state. Uh, so there was real active notions of self-defense founded by African-Americans and abolitionists. Um, and this, of course, happens also during the civil rights movement um, when uh, Southern racists react with terror and with violence against peaceful civil rights activists. Uh, You have the formation of the Deacons for Defense and Justice uh, in Louisiana, uh, an African-American self-defense group. Um, You have the Black Panthers. You know, there was a lot of scaremongering that went around uh, the Black Panthers because they were armed for self-defense. But in fact, if you look at the history of Black Panthers, they rarely perpetrated violence. They were the victims of violence and state repression. Their aim was to protect their communities to even feed their communities, like one of the Buffalo victims said. Uh, They would have breakfast programs for children of their neighborhoods. Um, So this this tradition, this history of resisting uh, these invasions into uh, black communities goes way back to the abolition movement, uh, goes way back to the civil rights movement. Um, And I think it's about time that we think about something like that. 
uh, especially when we have people propagating uh, these ideas with impunity. It seems like they get away with it. Um, if there is somebody who's racist, they will stoke up more racist divisions. Um, they will stoke up more of these massacres. Uh, and I think we need to be proactive, not only in, in fighting against these horrors and showing where it can lead us down to the path. You know, a very famous historian of fascism in Europe, Timothy Snyder, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times recently where he looked at what has been happening in our country uh, and these ideas and, and these attacks on, on innocent black people and said, this is a lot like the way fascism started uh, in Europe, where you identify and victimize a group of people either by their ethnicity, their religion, or the color of their skin, and you scapegoat them. Uh, and you uh, propound these hateful ideas uh, and instill fear in people, saying that these people are going to come and attack you and invade you. Uh, and in fact, the only attackers, the only invaders, have always been these racist people, uh, like this young man who went into the top supermarket in Buffalo um, when no one had hurt him and, and no one stopped him or, or impeded him. Uh, in fact, the day before when he went to Scopa, people spoke to him and were friendly to him, uh, and he deliberately targeted uh, people of African descent uh, in his killing spree. So this was no insane young man. He was a cold-blooded racist murderer and should be viewed as such. Uh, and I'm astounded that this young man, who had already set up red flags in his school uh, by his uh, violent ideas um, and had been investigated by the local police, uh, had just been let off. Or that his uh, parents and family and friends did not know the kind of hate speech that he was indulging in. It seems quite likely to me that his friends and family knew exactly his ideas and the things that he was posting for the entire world to see. Um, and they condoned it by their silence. Um, and we, the country as a whole is condoning this kind of massacre uh, when we allow uh, high political officials, when we allow um, so-called journalists, but really propagandists of fascism like Tucker Carlson, uh, to to propound these hateful ideas day after day in their shows. I demand that Fox News get rid of people like this. And if they don't do that, I demand that the cable companies in this country allow us to remove Fox News from our cable bundle. Because I don't want a single dime uh, of my money going to hold up this kind of hateful propaganda. I really think that we as ordinary American citizens and consumers really have to be proactive and take action. Otherwise, we're just going to stand and watch these kinds of awful, terrible, tragic incidents occur. And all these people who have uh, probably inspired and stimulated this man, uh, young man, into uh, his crime spree, uh, get away scot-free again. Um, and this has happened in the past. Uh, we know with white terror groups uh, like the Ku Klux Klan, um, and it is happening now um, because uh, somehow this is 
seen as acceptable political speech when it isn't. It is hate speech of the worst kind, uh, the kind that the Nazis propagated against um, Jewish people, the kind that fascists propagated against minorities or LGBTQ people or so-called or those people whom they call socialists. Um, you know, they, clearly the Republican Party today is playing by that same fascist playbook, as Timothy Snyder put it in his um, article. Um, and we should also look back to this history of black resistance um, to these racist massacres, to uh, these lynchings. And that's something that I think is really important to remember, uh, that black people have rarely perpetrated violence on other people. Even under the dismal days of slavery, we have instances of slave rebellion, which can actually be seen also as self-defense because slavery was nothing if not a perpetual war against black people. Um, but I think it is important for us to understand that African-Americans have always acted in self-defense or mostly acted in self-defense. You will find few instances, very few instances, of African-Americans deliberately attacking white people or other people, despite a very long history of oppression. I mean, think about the worshipers of the Amy Church, um, whose first response was the Christian, such a Christian response, I have to admit that I could not be such a good Christian, was to forgive the young man for his sins. Um, you know, uh, they have always, uh, when they have resorted to arms, said that this is in self-defense. And I think right now we do need to act in self-defense. Um, I think that's one of the important tenets of the movement for black lives uh, and, and their slogan of Black Lives Matter, that here we are defending black life. We are just defending the right of black to be, to exist, and to be citizens, to be citizens of this republic. That is what galls the racists the most. They do not want an interracial democracy that was created during Reconstruction and then overthrown by racist terror. They do not want the interracial democracy that was created um, in the aftermath of the civil rights movement. We are in a perpetual backlash against some of those ideas and laws, uh, and it is all coming from one side, from one party that refuses to accept uh, African-Americans as equal citizens. Um, and we can see this in, you know, hundreds of instances where black people are targeted, um, where they, uh, you know, when there are laws that are enforced uh, are sometimes targeting uh, African-Americans who many times are either innocent victims of violence or are acting in self-defense. Uh, you could see them in all the massacres where they would actually arrest the victims of massacres rather than the perpetrators of massacres or laws that were, you know, differentially applied against African-Americans who many times were simply seeking justice, were simply seeking establishing the rule of law. Um, to me, uh, you know, who's a historian and who knows the long history uh, of racist terror, domestic terror in this country, it was still eye-opening to read these accounts left behind by uh, Union Army soldiers, by Freedmen's Bureau agents, and other representatives of the federal government in the aftermath 
of emancipation. And I want you to think of the terror massacre in Buffalo in that context. It is motivated by the same idea that we will just not accept black people as equal citizens in this republic. We will make it really difficult for them to vote or actually just throw them out of the voting rolls if we can get away with it. Uh, we will take districts uh, with large minority populations and divide them and gerrymander them in a way so that we don't have that many minority and black office holders. Uh, we will weaponize fears and conspiracy theories against immigrants and others. Um, it is really important for us uh, to, um, um, you know, remember uh, and keep in mind uh, all the victims of, um, of this man's uh, killing spree. Uh, we should also demand that Fox Channel 5 be removed from our cable bundle if they continue to have, uh, uh, you know, racist propagandists like Tucker Carlson, like Laura Enagram, like uh, uh, so-called Judge Janine Pirro, uh, and people who continue to traffic in lies and racist, uh, we want them gone. Um, I think Fox News would not survive if it was not part of a cable bundle. Those people who want to watch Fox, they can pay for it separately. But we as citizens, as American citizens, committed to an equal democracy of all people, regardless of race and color, we are not going to uh, stand for that. And I think if you look at the history of black resistance to racist violence, uh, we have to organize. Um, we have to vote in elections. Uh, especially these midterm elections, to make sure that um, uh, that our allies are elected and not our enemies. Um, and we have to make sure that we, in fact, um, organize in civil rights groups, in vigils, in uh, just countering hate. It's really important, you know, what can an individual do? What can a single individual do against these powerful perpetrators of hate? whether it is Fox News or coming from the highest echelons of the Republican Party. Well, what you can do is counter it. That's what Ida B. Wells said. She exposed the racism and the hatred uh, of these people. That's what abolitionists did. They exposed the horrors, the oppressions of the enslavers, and they were able to change public opinion, and they were able to push the pendulum of history greater towards justice. So it's really important uh, that we do that, um, that we continue to fight for justice and that we continue to demand uh, acknowledgement of the victims of such hate crimes, that we continue to remember them. Um, and I think uh, as we approach the end of our show today, uh, I would really like to remember the 10 victims um, all outstanding members of uh, Buffalo's um, community, uh, good neighbors, uh, outstanding leaders of their community, always there to help their own families and help their communities. Uh, we should remember them, and we should remember that their death should not go in vain. Not only should this racist uh, young murderer be convicted for his hateful and horrific crimes, uh, but the people who have incited him should also be held accountable. 
Um, and so as, we, as I leave you today, I want you to, to remember the names of some of these victims. I want you to remember um, the youngest uh, victim, Roberta Drury, who was just 32 years old and who had moved back to Buffalo to help her brother, Margaret Morrison, who was 52, Andre McNeil, who was with Geraldine Talley, who was 62. Um, you know, all these people were my age. I feel a kinship with them. And I am just so saddened by their useless, completely pointless, uh, death um, and by the hands of this uh, young man. Um, uh, Celestine Cheney, 65. Hayward Patterson, who was um, the, the security guard who tried to stop this uh, man, this murderer. Uh, Catherine Massey, who was 72. Um, we have to think of Pearl Young, 77, who ran a food pantry. I mean, these these victims were angels in the best sense, uh, and that is where they are today. Um, this young man's hate cannot define them. Uh, their deaths uh, have made them martyrs, uh, but let's remember the good that they did. Uh, Pearl Young was 77 years old and um, ran a food pantry, and I would urge all of you to donate food to your local food pantries, um, whatever you can give, however you can help uh, the homeless, the hungry. She took her Christian calling very seriously uh, where she ran this food pantry in the park. Uh, I think to honor her, that's the least we could do. And finally, the oldest victim, Ruth Whitfield, who was 86 years old. So having said that, um, I am saddened by the Buffalo Massacre, I am saddened by these useless, pointless deaths of these outstanding citizens, Christians, Americans at the hands of a misguided, hateful murderer. And I can only hope that, in fact, he and all the people who incited him will in due time get their just due. So I'm happy to talk with you today, even though it is a sad occasion, uh, and I look forward to speaking with you again in June. Bye-bye. Stay safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.